0: Hello, you're listening to See, Here, Brother. My name is Richard Wilson. And my name is Josh Wilson. We're two brothers who want to share our love of film and literature with one another and with you. Thanks for listening. So every month, we will each pick a work to introduce to the other, and then we'll get together and talk about the experience. So welcome in. Uh, So since this is our very first episode, we opted to go with a theme of firsts. So specifically, we each selected for the other... A first work by an artist that we love Uh, and as it turned out there ended up being uh, far more connections than simply that uh, by sheer coincidence it was very serendipitous so I chose for my brother Josh a short story called a temporary matter which is the first story in a debut collection by a writer who I really love Jhumpa Lahiri Um, so uh, kind of double first there uh, and for me, Josh, what did you pick? Uh, I picked Agnes Varda's 1955 film La pointe Courte*. Okay. So let's start with that then, since that was a 1955 film, uh, and since that chronologically was first, and there's actually another reason for that too. But, so tell us a little bit about the movie, and then tell me why you decided to pick that. Alright, well, I just want to say, first of all, I'm really excited that we're getting to do this. I think uh, this is going to be a lot of fun for, for us and hopefully for for both of the people that listen to it. And uh, Yeah, so. th- those, those guys are going to be so thrilled. Yes. Yeah. The, if they've made it this far, they've already heard that we're talking about a French film, <laughs> so they're probably like, "Oh man." man so dumb. yeah, no, it's it's a great yeah, we movie. Went, we went uh, bigger. Go bigger. Yeah, go home. Right. Yeah. So, well, just to just to set the stage for this movie, it's a it's a film that you can't really um, you can't really spoil it. Even if you're not uh, like me, you're not really concerned about spoilers usually. Um, but just as a warning, we will talk about, um, the actual details of the plot and characters on this podcast and going forward, uh, because it's kind of both of our contention. I think that you can't really meaningfully talk about a movie or a, or a story or, or a poem or, or anything else without really kind of digging into it. And when you, um, when you sort of, uh, Partition off the plot as something that you can't really talk about, including uh, the ending or whatever. Then you're not going to be able to really fully discuss it. So that's kind of the position we're going to take. But that being said, La Pointe Courte is a movie that doesn't really have a, a plot that can be spoiled. I would say so. It's an interesting. Now it doesn't really have um, <clears throat> much of a plot exactly. Yeah, it, anyway. it's not. It's not really driven by incident and um things happening so it's structured as a um in in sort of two parts um that the one part of the story is is basically just kind of a slice of life in this little fishing village in france Um, that's the name of the la pointe Courte is the name of the um of the little village and uh you just see kind of the comings and goings of the uh villagers there um as they try to kind of evade the the law at you know there's local law enforcement they're trying to uh tell them where they can fish and and you know this fishing is illegal and that it and they kind of are on <clears throat> the the fishermen are always on the wrong side of the law there um and people, young people are trying to get married and get permission from um, overbearing fathers to uh, be able to court their, um, their beau and all that sort of thing. And that's half of the story. So it's a sort of just kind of a look at this village. And the other half of it is um, a dramatically different uh, style that's uh, juxtaposed with it, which uh, it follows two, uh, a young married couple. So two people that have returned to this village. The, the the man grew up there and the woman is his wife and uh, she is visiting this village for the first time and they go around the village and kind of walk along the seashore and, uh, and then just talk to each other the whole time. And uh, they're in the midst of kind of a crisis in their relationship in that the woman reveals that she's basically come there to tell him that she's going to leave him, but um, over the course of the film, they kind of talk their way through their issues and seemingly come up with a. By the end, sort of, uh, they kind of restore their relationship, although there's some ambiguity to that. But um, there's a lot we can talk about because, like we said, that that's that's what happens, but it's that's not really as you can see that that's not really a a plot that's just kind of how it's set up because the film is um really works on the level of visuals uh, on the level of um, ideas and um, on the level of what happens when you juxtapose these totally different um, styles of um, film next to each other in the same exact uh, movie so we can talk about about that um, but I wanted to see the reason I picked it is uh, Agnes Farda is the creator of this film she is kind of legendary in in French cinema um, and when she made this movie she was just in her 20s um, and she uh, had a background in photography and she came to this village um, she was returning to it herself after having been uh she spent some time there during the second world war that her family kind of fled um wartime uh, troubles and she stayed there and so she was coming back because she knew the people she knew the 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 culture of what was going on there and she wanted to make this movie about it but she didn't have a background in film at all so she kind of you know sui generis just kind of out of nowhere she just comes in and makes this a amazing film. It, it it became extremely influential later but for a long time because I, she made this like totally independently and she was a woman director who was working outside of the the established uh, norms for how di- people came to direct films in France. Because of that this film wasn't actually given a real chance at distribution so it took a long time but it's since become a real classic in cinema. So I want, I want, that's just kind of setting up the, the background of it a bit, but I want to talk more about the content of it after I, I get a sense of how did you respond to it and what were your thoughts upon seeing it for the first time, Rich? Yeah, no, it was really interesting. So, I mean, I'd be curious to hear what, I mean, we can talk about that in a minute, but I'd be curious to hear why this film, uh, had an impact on you personally. Um, but i i mean i was it was interesting i i know a lot less about the history of cinema than you do obviously uh you're much more well versed in that uh it did seem um out of place to me based on my limited arguably limited familiarity with cinema i I don't mean out of place i mean you know, for lack of a better word, revolutionary. I haven't seen anything exactly like that. But that felt more like a film that you would have seen 10 years later come out in cinema. Oh, yeah. Uh, something that you would have seen in the middle, you know, of the 70s, middle of the 60s, or, you know. I, I think a lot of times when you have a somebody who, quote unquote, doesn't know what they're doing, or, you know, or they come to it without the baggage of how it's supposed to be done. They end up coming up with something that's that's uh, very unique and very revolutionary sometimes, and that's yeah, you're definitely describing so the the fact that this movie was the structure of it and the way that it was the way that it was shot uh, and the um, the style of it, the, the 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 real juxtaposition of the two halves of the film and the way that that style the styles don't match up at all but yet it coheres to make a, a whole that's greater than, the, than either of the two parts. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. So, I mean, by uh, her admission, the filmmaker's admission, it's largely based on, or at least structurally, it's based on, not in any way, uh, the, the screenplay is not, but the structure of it uh, owes a lot to uh, a Faulkner work yeah. um, that has gone by a couple of different names. Um, but, the wild Palms Yeah, the wild. Uh, it has the, another name. Yeah, uh, a name that's based on the psalms, like uh, Jerusalem. How I forget thee, or something like that. Right? Okay. Um, but it itself, it, it's the same kind of structure, right? It's two different stories that kind of, in a sense, don't have. You could argue that they don't have anything to do with one another, other than common setting. Right. So to speak. So, um, no, it was really interesting to me. I mean, I I thought that some of the camera work, uh, I, I, I don't, um, know quite as much about what makes good camera work, but I kind of know when I see it. Um, I enjoyed some of the really slowly arcing, uh, camera motion in there. Uh, I definitely enjoyed some of the ways that she would frame her shots. Uh, Some of the ways that uh, she would be looking at just a bird uh, flying across the sky or while the, you know, especially while the lovers are talking, she trains the lens on other aspects of life or on a stagnating pool or sometimes there would just be kind of silent shots that remind, uh, that were just, I mean, like even the opening. It was just kind of like a stillness, other than the wind blowing through the towels or whatever. But there were so many shots of just the wind blowing through laundry, or I don't know. It was just really interesting to me. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, it would definitely take a couple more watches, uh, but it definitely felt fresh. Um, yeah, you could you could see her the, in those compositions the the photographic eye she had for. Uh, I mean, because every shot in, in, it's in, it's filmed in black and white and every shot has a, a real kind of, it's fraught with kind of poetic beauty, like a really beautiful still photograph that you would see. And yet there's a story there. So, yeah. Yeah. So let's, so uh, let's talk about the story a little bit, because we kind of talked about the... We're, we're really off to a good start we're like, hey, we're talking about an obscure French film and it doesn't have a plot. But no, but let's talk about the story just a little bit. Um, so you mentioned the, the juxtaposition of these two different kind of narrative arcs. And one of them is not really a narrative arc, although there are arguably some things, right? There's uh, the family that has a bunch of children. You mentioned there's another couple in there. Uh, right. One... Uh, You know, young man who gets in trouble with the authorities, and then he's also trying to, um, you know, impress the father of the of the girl he wants to court, or whatever. And and we should mention that. I mean, right now we're we're talking about this kind of very abstract stuff, but I mean, it's I think one of the most surprising things when you first see this movie is there's a scene, uh, a sequence of. Where they do jousting on boats, which is kind of like what? All of a sudden, like now they're jousting on on boats in this canal. It's really cool. But, it is. It's pretty uh, And awesome. that's really how admit, the the guy impresses go, them. Yeah, it makes me want to go joust on boats. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's like there. That's such a a bit of local color that. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they do that. All over Europe, I have no idea. But as far as I know, that's that's the only time I've ever heard of something like that. It's, yeah. it's a pretty pretty. Uh, it's a pretty neat thing, and and um, I mean, yeah. the, even in the movie, you see the 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 woman who's visiting. She's she's like, you guys do this every Sunday, and he's like, yeah, we do it from two to five every. Two to, two, to, 2 to 9 or 7 like or you something. can be out there like the whole 5 time. hours every day every Sunday yeah. and she's like really you stay? <laughs> he's like yeah. yeah that's great well it becomes a you know before we get to, to to that part i mean it that definitely becomes that experience for that that couple becomes something uh that seems like a factor in their decision if it's a decision it, it almost feels like the absence of a decision to stay mm-hmm. together in a way but they do ultimately decide, you know, to, to stay together when they leave the little village. And, and that, you know, those festivities have something to do with it. But in general, the two narrative structures that are going on, you do have the one uh, couple. That's just, as you say, it, there's basically you could describe what they go through in about a sentence, they wander around and talk. Well, I'm um, sorry. It took me more than one sentence. No, no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Earlier. I know. I'm kidding. Um, I, I'm saying that there is a relevance to the fact that, you know, um, one of the lines that comes out towards the end, uh, that, that really struck me and uh, that I thought was really interesting and kind of, in a way, important to... To understanding the film or at least to asking the questions that the film might be asking because i don't know that the film is didactic in any way i don't think it's trying no. to make a point as much as it is more uh observatory or right. examinatory uh but one of the couples the local couples says about this um other couple the man who grew up there and brought his wife, right? They were walking around kind of having an existential crisis. And the film, when it follows them is really existential in nature. It yeah. just kind of shows them in uh, various poses. It shows yeah, it's very, sh- it's very artificial. It's very um, stagey. And yeah. Very, it's the, very the, the odd blocking. Well, cause remember the one thing we should say, those two, that couple that's, on the brink of splitting up, they are the only like actors in this movie. You know, they're they're actually stage they're from stage and film acting, but the all the other people are just the people of this actual village. Right. Right. So well and and I read somewhere that she that there were some early criticisms of the film that the acting was bad. But yeah that she had intentionally instructed them to act as if they were just reading the lines off of a right. page. Yeah, it's it's very flat. It's very the the it's intentionally very um kind of emotionless as they talk through these very abstracted concepts of uh, it, you know, yeah, it's there right, so, which if it was if that was the whole movie it might there might be some pretty things but it would be pretty uh it,
1: it would, would be hard be it would be pretty, hard
0: to enjoy. Yeah, it would not be enjoyable. There might be something there but it would probably be actually pretty, pretty awful. Yeah. But so let me. So let me ask a, a question yeah, go about ahead. this then. In your opinion, and I haven't done a lot of research about this, and so maybe you have, or maybe you have an interpretation of this film. Mm-hmm. But what struck me about this movie, and maybe this is just the impression that it made on me, because again, I don't think that it's a movie that's trying to make a point exactly, but. The juxtaposition of the cinematic styles, uh, and also the the conversational styles, as you say, one uh, this main couple that it follows is very staged, very flat, very kind of artificial. The cinematography is very posed, and then the rest of it is much more. I think you put it at the beginning. Day in the life, it's just kind of watching. Things as they naturally unfold for these people, and their conversations are just about, hey, the you know, there's a guy outside, or hey, you know, the you know, inspectors are coming, and it very much just follows what they would do. And yet, those people, despite the fact that they are actually dealing with some what I would consider actual challenges, right? So, Mm -hmm. I just want to talk about the challenges that they're actually dealing with. It's clearly not a well-to-do neighborhood. They're all it's a, you know, very rural kind of isolated fishing village and even their, you know, their one source of livelihood basically, which seems to be fishing, is in trouble because there's some kind of you just kind of get hints that there's some kind of bacteria or something bad in the water and so they're having to have tests done on the fish that they catch and they're trying to you know, basically fish illegally so that the inspectors don't catch them doing it because it's basically the source of livelihood for the whole area. Right. Um, so there's some legitimate existential crisis there, like mm-hmm. actual existential crisis, right? Their actual existence is threatened, and yet it's the other couple who are talking about very abstract feelings, and I'm, you know. Uh, that represent existentialism. Mm -hmm. So, do you think that uh, Varda is sympathetic to both points of view or is this juxtaposition kind of pointing out some of the um, superficiality of the modern kind of identity crisis the urban sort of mm. identity crisis right the the couple that's visiting is very much urban right this yeah. to them is a novelty it's a Well vacation. for the woman is yes the woman right. is He's yeah, from she's, she's originally from, Paris, from right. there but yeah uh yeah so that's i, I think that that's, that's an interpretation you can take i doubt that that's what Agnes Varda meant by this uh, i think that I think she takes the the couple seriously Um, she's not um, satirizing it or something just because of the style is different Um, and I think for one thing one reason that you can tell that is because um, the way that some the there's just a few times where those two things kind of mesh or kind of overlap And just to kind of remind you that even though she's filming this couple and they're talking and there's some artifice there, that they are kind of still living in this real world. Uh, So I think she's dealing with it. And I, I mean, I've heard her talk in a couple of interviews looking back on this film about one of the themes she was trying to explore was that there's this kind of barrier between the personal life and the public life and the public social life and the personal life are, are I'm not sure that if I'm representing her idea completely right, but that's kind of what was going on there. She's showing that those two things can't really overlap, that they ultimately have, you know, they live in different spheres of our, of our, of our experience. So, so that's um, interesting. So most of what we see from the village itself or from this you know, corner of the village. Uh, is the public life, right? And then, do you think the couple represents more the the private life, or yeah. to some degree the internal monologue of a of an individual, or arguably a couple has their own sort of internal right. dialogue that isn't that isn't right. public as well, right? And they're and they're over the course of this discussion, one of the things they talk about is how Um, over time they grow to be more like each other or they see they understand each other better or they don't or they you know so this this idea of the identity of the couple um, and whether that's going to um, whether that's going to last or not yeah so that's that's still a very personal thing as opposed to the um, kind of public and, 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 you know, if you contrast that with the other story of the, the the girl who wants to date the, you know, the boy in the village, if, you know, that kind of shows there's a, obviously that's a, a couple, but the way that their relationship is mediated is through the family and the social interaction. I mean, everybody else is talking about them, whether they're going to be allowed to be together or not, you know, so... So yeah, there's and kind it's of, a contrast there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's one of the uh, notable. I, I mean, it, the film gets pretty close to ending, if I'm not mistaken, with that couple dancing yeah, together, right? Yeah, because they're yeah, because um, they, it's one it of it the, the final things that right you see. The, Yeah, there's a there's a dance in the town, and they they end up getting permission to kind of hang out together, and they they kind of actually dance together. And then everyone starts to, some of the families kind of start to break off and go back home. And the the main couple, uh, you know, leaves together, um, having decided that they're going to stick with it for now. But, you know, this kind of opened into question of, you know, is she going to return to this same set of questions? And, you know, soon enough is going to cycle back around, around to it. Right. But, so... The, I, I don't know, the, the contrast between the lovers getting their first date, and uh, that's Anna and Raphael, I believe their names are, the, yeah. the young right. couple of the village yes. that are on there getting their first date, and then this other couple who we've been following the whole time that are a couple of years into marriage or four, three or four years into marriage or something like that. So at one point, the the wife who's visiting... They're sitting in that boat that they find. They find that big abandoned ship. Oh, and they're yeah. sitting in there, and she says something to the effect of, you know, I wish I had been here and grown up with you. You know, she's starting right. to find some interest in his in his background. Yeah, and he doesn't like that right. idea. Right, I mean, so he, he says, thinks... I wouldn't have been in love with you. I only was yeah. in love with you because you were different. Right, and that we have to grow alike little by little. Right. So, I don't know. I think that she was also trying to explore the idea a little bit of um, the necessity of mystery in a relationship. right? There's a lot of, you think about, and I've never been in one, obviously, but you think about the idea of these kind of mediated relationships or these even arranged marriages or whatever, how much mystery there would be in that sort of relationship environment as opposed to the the relationship environment that we kind of find ourselves in now where we maybe have swung too far to the opposite direction. I don't know. That's making a statement about something that has nothing to do with this movie, but where we <laughs> kind of have this compulsion to have to be certain. And know everything about somebody yeah. before we're ready to make any sort of commitment. But I don't the, mean years me in you and I, but I just mean right. that's kind of a modern school of thought. And The it, other right. side of it is in those those uh, societies where that structure exists. You've got you've got a social um, social network. <laughs> no, you got an actual a real social network, not which is there to support and build up you know and of course i'm speaking in sort of idealistic terms but you know theoretically there's there's you know you're being put into that position of of uh this mystery but there's a social structure that's there to to hopefully prevent that from failing whereas you know the other side of it you have freedom and you have freedom of choice and you have the ability to unravel the mystery and discern if that's for the best but we've given up the some of the social structures that that uh, provide support so um i don't think that's coincidental but um, at any rate you know i'm thinking that this topic kind of might bear more fruit if we move into talking about it in the context of the story you selected, yeah, definitely. because there's some connections that we can make there for sure. Um, so I, one more, I, I agree with you. So as it turns out, for all of you listener out there, um, I, I mentioned at the top of the uh, the, the episode here that we were uh, finding ourselves in in a serendipitous moment. So I picked unbeknownst we just I just came up with the theme of first since our first podcast, right? And unbeknownst to Josh, I picked this story. I remembered reading this story. Uh, it's called A Temporary Matter, and the author's name is Jhumpa Lahiri. In 1999, uh, published her first collection of short stories and immediately won, uh, like, every single award. Uh, basically, Egoted for literature, notably uh, the Pulitzer. The, the book, if anyone's interested, uh, is called uh, Interpreter of Maladies. And so, unbeknownst, Josh was already thinking of this movie. As it turns out, we both uh, also put what would you say? I wouldn't say put stock in, but uh, are appreciate the the format of the sort of Criterion brand of movie. Yes, Uh, or what would you call that? The Criterion. What I watch it on the Criterion Channel. Sure. Yeah, the Criterion Collection.
1: Criterion Collection.
0: Just yeah it's the criterion collection yeah yeah on that channel or on their dvd release or whatever josh has uh the on their beta max that josh watches things on um <laughs> and now we're from our sponsor betamax <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> uh on on josh's betamax version well Jumple here actually introduces this film there mm-hmm. uh, and one of the lines that was an imp- had an impact on her and also had an impact on me was there's just some other couple standing by that watches this, you know, vacationing couple walk past and says, they talk too much to be happy. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, that was just an impactful line to me and also to the, the writer of this short story. And so I, I just posed the question to the listeners and to you yourself to think, is there a happiness To be found Because it seems like When we look at the villagers Like they have some happiness In just The simplicity of being Just You know Sitting together And having a drink And playing the clarinets And having a jousting competition As opposed to like Analyzing everything to death Right Um so, which is what is what we're doing, right? We're yeah, exactly. So which is why we're miserable right now. Yeah, we've been sp- <laughs> <laughs> we've been spending our whole lives doing this. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, and we so, couldn't st- <laughs> couldn't stop. So we exactly. said, you know what? We need to, you know, if <laughs> we, we have commercialize to commercialize this. Yeah, if <laughs> <laughs> we said if we have to put up with this, well, we should at least share it. Yeah, because so, misery loves company. Yeah, we should at least uh, clockwork orange people into listening yeah, to us. Yeah, <laughs> we should inflict this on the world. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Uh, so yes, let's talk about that short story. Before we talk about that short story, let's hear a brief word from one of our sponsors. That's right. Cleanse right. Remember that Cleanse Right is the only washing soap for you Remember that Cleanse Right is the soap that washes things so new. Please remember the many things that only Cleanse Right can do. Remember to call your grocer to send you Cleanse Right. So, thank you, Cleanswright. Uh we're back to talk about Rich's selection for me to read for this and he introduced it a little bit before the break, but if you could just give us like a little overview of this story, a temporary matter, and what it's about. Yeah. You try to keep it briefer than I did a summary of a that plotless shouldn't be hard. film. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That shouldn't be hard. Uh, I could probably recite the short story and still keep it brief. <laughs> so, uh, a temporary matter. The essence of the story is just this. There's a couple, Shoba and Shukumar, who are living together. They're a married couple, and they get a notice that each evening, about 8 o'clock, the power is going to be out for an hour, while some power lines are being repaired. Right. Uh, that is the temporary matter, uh, uh, that is, of uh, the the, the title refers to ostensibly. And over the course of the four or five days that this is happening, they're repairing some power lines. And so the power's down for eight o'clock, the couple ends up eating candlelight dinner together because you know, the power's out. So they cook the dinner and, uh, The story reveals that there has been... They haven't been doing this at all. Uh, They haven't been eating together. They've been basically living kind of separate lives, even though they've stayed married. uh, Mostly because there's been a big tragedy in their marriage. They lost their first child. Uh, Their first child was stillborn. uh, And they... You know, you get the feeling that they've just kind of never recovered. Either one of them. Personally uh, or collectively. So they're each struggling with this in their own way, and they're not um, struggling through it together, really. Uh, And so the the crux of the story, the real crux of the story is that over the course of these candlelight dinners, Shoba comes up with the idea, based on something that she had done when she was young, uh, for them to tell each other something that they never told each other before, during this hour. And so each you know, uh, consecutive day, they reveal some secret that they'd never told each other before until at the very end. And the secrets have you know a variety of importances. And it actually is serving the purpose of bringing them together. They're feeling closer than you know, they had felt in a long time. Uh, and then, of course, at the very end, the secret that Shoba reveals is that she has found an apartment and she's leaving him. Uh, and then Shukumar reveals that he actually knew the gender of the baby and held the baby uh, and then it ends with them basically crying together in the uh, dark again in the dark and uh so obviously a lot of themes of dark light, uh, a lot of themes of uh, what what is in secret, what is in what is in the open, which is one of the reasons why. I think that I wanted to talk about that idea of the of mystery in a relationship and how is it important when is there too much mystery in a relationship right so what were your thoughts before i you know pontificate on that what what your thoughts on the story yeah so th- this is my first uh chance to read anything by uh, Jhumpa lahiri I've heard of her uh I'm familiar with the name but um I was glad to get a, a chance to kind of finally dip my toe into these waters so yeah this is a um yeah it's a tragic story um it's it's a hard read from the point of view that you know once you realize that this central idea is you know not only the death of their child stillborn child but also this dissolution of their marriage it's it's tough um but um i thought uh, you know it's, it's a very strong story um, it's, it's really um, it's written in a very um, it, it reveals just enough detail to really place you in that position um, something that's you know there's so many connections to the film that you could make thematic connections uh, um, one of the things that's important I think to recognize is that it's, a, it's about kind of an immigrant community their their indian heritage uh although i I, I can't remember were they both born in the united states or or were they maybe they were both i think come there i don't know that it says if they were born there or not but yeah he they live in it's currently set in baltimore right she had lived in arizona i I, it mentions a couple of times she grew up in tucson i don't remember where they met honestly right or if it, but they, but they do not know that it's material. But well, what is important, I think, is their that their parents are immigrants. Yeah, their parents are immigrants. I think they're second that, generation or first right, generation born. You know. Right. And that that sense of uh, a community that is within a larger community around them uh, that is not necessarily the same. You know, uh, so. The, the Indian culture that they bring. And there's one scene where he, he thinks back, uh, Shukumar, the husband, thinks back to when his, his mother-in-law had visited them and brought a little shrine into the house to pray. And, uh, you know, so you sense this, uh, that they are kind of like straddling the two worlds of the Indian culture um, and it's it's kind of ironic because he didn't have as strong a connection to his home country or his family's home country, but he ended up studying it in in school. Right. Like becoming a Indian culture study or something like that. Yeah. Obviously. But having not, to but having. But he's kind of bad at it. Yeah. I mean, he's that's one of like, the secrets that <laughs> he has. to reveal, is he has Yeah. Yeah. He cheat cheated on that. his on his studies because he well, from a he white didn't. guy. Right, right, I think I'm. I'm not trying to. Yeah, be a jerk, it was but, a, I mean, a sort of implied. To, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that's it's. Um, there's a lot of uh, stuff going on in, in a story that you can read fairly quickly. Yeah. So I mean, that, that's definitely one of the one of the themes that she she addresses. Maybe not. Maybe it just is um, part of the fabric of what's going on there. Like right. uh, it, it almost would, because there are definitely hints of the parents not necessarily being in love with the other you know partner so I, in fact uh, I think Shukumar even says at some point that her mother doesn't like him or something like that right there are definitely um, undercurrents of the difference between maybe what their traditional uh, Indian culture would have had them how it would have had them live and how sort of modern America demands that they live, so to speak, in terms right. of him being away at conference while she was giving birth. So right. that's actually a, an important part that I missed, that he wasn't even there when she was giving birth. Yeah. Even though she wasn't supposed to, she gave birth way early, which is why the baby died, right? So, so she wasn't supposed to be due then. But that ends up being a, a point of tension for thing them as well. Another thing that's interesting to me is it, the religious aspect of this of this uh, story is very interesting to me because the the couple doesn't seem to have any kind of devout religious observance of their own um, I think they're Hindu uh, that seems to be the implication of the, the mother's religious belief and they do talk about um, a rice ceremony which is a sort of a cultural religious thing where the child would eat their first solid food at a certain age and that the um i guess the uncle is is supposed to be the one that would feed them that's part of that again there's that sense of a a community of of family and of tradition um that's kind of a point of of um overlap or, or thematic overlap with the the film we watched interesting though in La Pointe Court, I don't recall any real instance of discussing religion at all. That which is an interesting omission. Um, neither the couple nor anybody in the uh, in the village really. I mean, I can't remember them even kind of offhandedly mentioning anything about religion, which is probably to, I think probably reflects on Varda more than it reflects anything about the. People in there, but yeah. Well, um, you know, jump. So in Lahiri's jump, Lahiri's introduction to that film, Mm -hmm. one of the things that she said that struck me, and is that she was taken with in that movie what was not shown as often as what was shown. Right. So that's kind of an interesting point. I, you know, in retrospect, it's hard to go back and be like, notice things that you would weren't there yeah like religion right you would think that that community at that time there would be some sort of religious presence um the only thing i can think of in the film is there's a like these seahorse skeletons that are are tacked to the um door of one of the little shanties there that is um sort of vaguely in the shape of a cross that's about it but yeah but the in the but there's in no the story, praying and there's no 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 I know, there's well, there's the old woman does pray over the little boy that dies oh that's true you're right I forgot that so I was just about to mention that incident too because we didn't talk about it there's another connection is the death of a child in the film there's a um, a woman who I I got the impression that she actually was like kind of promiscuous and had maybe multiple baby daddies and she had like seven kids. That's what it seemed like based on some yeah, of the conversation the that people were saying, well, yeah, he's just going to, there was some other, another pair of old women at some point that were just saying, right. Yeah. They were talking about that lady with seven kids for a, yeah, you know, <laughs> she's, she's fertile for any time. Yeah. Anybody that shows up, but she, she, um, yeah, but one of the kids gets some sort of illness and dies and, um, it's kind of a, Bleakly presented in the film, but there is a sense that the community kind of re- takes care of these little kids that are, you know, crying in the street because they're being mistreated because they're being basically neglected since they, the parent or is dealing with the death of this kid, and um, well, yeah, one of the kids uh, as is like con- walking; they're walking around without pants, and then yeah, you know, well, and, some but, guy takes the one of the kids to go get. You know, a, a licorice or something. Yeah, I don't even know well, who the well, guy I just, is. The guy, the guy that took him—that was, um, that was the 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 boyfriend. But oh, Raphael or whatever. Yeah, Raphael. But uh, what I wanted to do is contrast that a little bit with the experience that um, is portrayed in of loss in the short story. In the short story, we see the couple from a very close up point of view. Of what their emotions and their what it does to their marriage in that loss, in the film we see the we don't really see a lot. We see the grandmother, as you said, kind of pray and sort of lament the death of this child, but not really much more than that. We see more of the community's response to it. And so in the film, I mean, sorry, in the short story, what what we see is kind of the lack of community. I mean, the the mother-in-law shows up for a couple weeks or a month or something and stays with them and then that's it. I mean, and they don't really, they no longer really see any friends, it is mentioned in the story. And they don't, they don't have like a church or a temple or, or a commun- you know, religious community. Um, and there, and again, since they are immigrants, I suspect that, that whatever cultural norms they would have for dealing with grief and dealing with loss like that are kind of just absent and they haven't you know glommed on to any other kind of cultural or communal um support in, in the place where they live now so yeah most notably from from one another i mean that that's the yeah. first opportunity for community is sure. with one another yeah and it definitely talks about how how it's affected each of them differently and, yes. Uh, so yeah, lack it. of a community plays plays an enormous part in, I think, what ultimately becomes the complete dissolution of of that that relationship. I I don't know if this was, I may be way off base in this because again I'm not my Probably. familiarity. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't <laughs> be the first time, right? But I kind of thought of it as almost like this central metaphor of the uh, or not metaphor this incident of the the light being turned out for five nights I'm kind of wondering if there's sort of an anti Diwali thing going on there like sort of a a opposite of light although I don't know enough about Diwali to comment really about that but there's a sense at which it seemed really important that at the beginning of the story she says there's gonna be no lights for five nights in a row you know it's almost like a ritual that they're going through which is kind of imposed on them by chance or circumstance of this purely just a mechanical thing that's going on It's that, you know, that they're working on the power or something. And, but yet it creates a ritual for them. And um, it kind of reminds me also of some things that Walker Percy talks about, about the way that we kind of come to life in In crises, you know, and and we can start to make connections in in those cases. But um, it was not possible for them to 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 see each other until it was until they were forced to be in the dark. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of richness there in the light and dark and the seeing versus not seeing kind of conversation. Uh, And especially, you know, Lahiri brings up a lot of details about when he kisses her, he closes his eyes, and she does too, even though it's in the dark, and Mm -hmm. he's looking at her, and and, uh, Shoba, when she tells him truths, sometimes is like squinting and looking off into the distance, and so there's a lot of, uh, you know, imagery in there about seeing, uh, being present versus being absent, being, you know, in the light versus in the dark, right? That, secrets, uh, of course, uh, have long been referred to with the imagery of something being in the light versus being in the dark, right? Um, <clears throat> I I do want to talk just for a second uh, about another comment that she made in reference to La Pointe Court uh in her... <laughs> So my French is excellent, by the way, dear it's listeners. It's amazing. Uh, right? I know. I, I, it's truly I have... astonishing. <laughs> I, I've never heard anything like it before. That's probably true. It probably is astonishing. Um, she made a remark to the effect of, in her introduction to the film, uh, she being Jumpalahiri, Lahiri, uh, saying something about how close the camera was, being a close observer of... And so you'll you'll see that a lot in that film, just, you know, looking at a bucket of eels or looking at a feet or at a log or something. And so rereading, I actually went back and reread the story today and rereading it again because she mentioned like that's what she teaches. Jhumpa Lahiri teaches in her writing class to her writing students that writers should be close observers So reading that, it's interesting that your impression of the story was that we get a really close view of Shoba and Shu Kumar and everything that they're going through. And rereading that story, I just tried to pay attention to how many kind of close details she put in there. And it's just, it's kind of astonishing the world that she created. So even very, very small things such as him like licking the top of his teeth or... Uh, there being a dentist appointment, or the, you know, lamb skins, or he, you know, takes the garlic smell off his fingers with a little bit of a half of a lemon, just little details like that, that don't really, like, if you read that story, and he didn't take the garlic smell off of his finger with a lemon, would the story be worse? The story, no, but the world would be poorer for not having that close of a detail so i just i found that interesting it it felt to me like i could almost feel the influence of la pointe court in this story yeah you know many years after i read it for the first time i first read this story you know 20 years ago almost yeah for the first time but uh i don't know what uh did that did that kind of make an any impression on you in terms of oh, your your understanding of the of the story or yeah absolutely i mean that's why i wanted to make sure that we talked about the the idea that they were immigrants or their families were immigrants and a lot of those those details are not um you know you could have changed them perhaps but those little things that bring a specificity to the um observation of this incident or this 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 story or this time in both the film and the story that we're reading here um those little those little bits of specificity are what help make it real in a way that um you know brings the universal character out of you know the particulars of it so yeah um yeah so there's not in 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 this this story there's not like a the structure of it is nothing like um, the structure of the film. I mean, at all, and and there's nothing. I don't think that par- that's um, analogous to the very artificial way that the couple is portrayed in their their discussions. But um, no, it's in, in fact the. Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no, go ahead. The the story almost has a lack. of of imagery in a sense it's very real yeah like any detail that she puts in there is detail about the characters or about the way the room looks or about an action that they did but there's it's basically devoid of naked metaphor he right. felt like this was happening, or it was like the rain had fallen on his face. There's none yeah. of that kind of... Yeah, sure. There's no sure. purple a- at all in the prose. Right. So if there's any imagery at all, it's all tucked into actual detail of the world. Right. But, uh, but you know, in La Courte, I don't think that, even though there's a very abstracted quality to half of the film... I don't think it's uh, jam-packed with metaphor either. You know, it still kind of maintains a groundedness. It's just more that the pictures are, the images of the the village are turned into beautiful imagery as kind of a abstract in an abstract sense. You know, as a setting for this kind of higher-level discussion that's right. more that's less earthy and more kind of well, abstract, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but and that's definitely not the case in this in this story. It, in, in that way, it, it relates more to the, to the half of the movie that's about, um, about the town people, you know, sure. and their their kind of, just way of speaking. Yeah, it's it's much more closely related with with that. I mean, it's a, a vignette, in a sense, right? Here's a moment in time. Here's a snapshot moment in time for this. On the, just, on the other hand, though, there is a sort of a, there is a sort of a, um, a sense of, of structure that's imposed again by that idea that they get this letter at the beginning and it says for five nights you will lose power, you know, and it's kind of like this, you know, like Ebenezer Scrooge, you will be visited by three, you know. There's a structure that's kind of imposed on their thing that that creates a ritual. Or creates a almost you know you know what I mean. There's a sort of a quasi-religious ritual that that comes out of that, um, and so obviously that's imposed by the by the writer um, as a structure for the story. But I think we're kind of wrapping up our our talk here. But it's it's really kind of incredible the number of of uh, similarities and connections between these two things that. We really did not intend to, like no, you said at the beginning, we didn't like set out to say what is the short story and the movie that you know is on everyone's mind in the yeah first, well in January twenty twenty one these are not on anybody's mind yeah um, <laughs> other than ours obviously uh, no it was it, it was uh, quite quite good experience and I, and I appreciate you sharing the the film with me yeah um, likewise it's, it's definitely something. Mm. That I'll go back to. So uh yeah, uh by way of wrapping up, what are you reading now? What are you what are you uh watching now? What are you enjoying? What are you digging on? Yeah, I am well, I'm doing a a number of things. I'm reading uh uh what am I reading? I'm rereading Gene Wolfe's Book of the Long Sun, which is a Again? i feel like you just read that like six months ago no, no no i read the book of the new sun you're confusing oh yes too. <laughs> this is the book of the long sun sorry and yeah it's it's an incredible um tetralogy uh, of of books um but i'm also reading um walker percy's message in the bottle which is a collection of essays about language and meaning and and a lot of things and it's really quite fascinating that's interesting are you, in of the, of, are you a fan of the are you a fan of the moviegoer that is probably my least favorite book of his uh that i've read Mine but too. uh but um i love i just reread the second, the second, coming, second coming recently really good. which i it, it it means a lot to me but um and i'm also just started re-watching with my one of my sons i've started re-watching Battlestar galactica the uh the reboot series which i haven't watched in a number of years and it's pretty good you know it's holding up pretty well i'm enjoying it a lot and my son is kind of you know he's like they they're all cylons they must all be Cylons," you know he's trying to he's trying to hedge his bets by predicting that every single person on the show is going to turn out to be a Cylon, which is not you know not a bad uh it's not wholly proceed. false i actually yeah. have never seen more than about the first three episodes of that i just don't watch as much stuff yeah as I well used to. i don't either but you know I just decided, hey, I, I, this is one I want to get back to. So what about you? Nice. I just finished one of the strangest books that I've ever read. And I've read quite a few strange books this year. Uh, it's called The Freedom Artist by Ben Okri. Uh, and it is essentially a lo- a, a long one long myth or a couple of myths or a whole bunch of really short myths about myths about the importance of myth about the importance of storytelling uh it's structured like this... in a very strange way like every single chapter is one page long yeah. and it's has a very oral myth uh feel to the prose uh it's really interesting it's um in to some degree in the vein of something like a 1984 or dystopian kind of fiction where Everything, uh, so, if you've been on Twitter, everything's nineteen eighty four right now. Yeah, everything's Orwellian. Yeah, yeah, exactly. According to some people, nonfiction wise, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nonfiction wise, uh, recently read through a book called *Cast* by Isabel Wilkerson, author of uh, *The Warmth of Other Suns* about the Great Migration. *Cast*, uh, I haven't finished it yet. Uh, so I hesitate to uh, throw out my final review of that. Uh, watching wise, um, I was just about to start Wanda Vision. Okay, I've yeah, I've heard it because I heard a weird yeah, I've heard it's review good. of it. I heard a yeah. weird review of it that made me interested. Uh, I mean, in honestly, it, so. we we should talk about this on at some point, but the whole MCU thing. But you know, I kind of. Come, we could. That could be I a I kind of gone form. off of the I kind of gotten off of that wagon, you know, after 500 films and, you know, 700 television series, but I I used to be big into it, but, you know, I'm kind of like, yeah, whatever at this yeah. point. So, saturation, I hear yeah. you. Yeah. All right. Well, good good talk. Yeah. Sir. Absolutely. Uh yeah, join us next time. So, we'll pick uh something else. Don't know yet uh stick with us i'll pick something for josh he'll pick something for me it won't and be a french film i promise this time uh i'll pick that's something okay. more accessible <laughs> that's okay i'll pick something i'll pick a french short story you're gonna then. pick something less just, accessible just to balance right. it out. pick right. something in a <laughs> pick something in a language that neither of us can read right in. this is in Sanskrit. Like, what do you think it meant <laughs> it's never been translated <laughs> <laughs> what's your interpretation of the sanskrit <laughs> yes it's no, very but postmodern in that way. Okay. <laughs> but join us next time. Hope you appreciate the discussion. Hope you find some things to read and some things to watch. you, through it all. you have, the world to gain. If you want the rainbow, why you jump. Of light.